Welcome to Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel. I'm Ben Simon. I'm Jesse Spur. I'm Jess Stokes Parish, and you're listening to Simulcast. Connecting the healthcare simulation community. The simulation space was this moment, this time where teams could really develop familiarity. So in this episode of Simulcast, we're going to be talking about psychological safety. And we're going to be doing that, reviewing an article titled Taking Simulation Out of Its Safe Container, exploring the bi-directional impacts of psychological safety and simulation in an emergency department. And we're going to be talking with, or I'm going to be talking with Eve Purdy, who is the first author, and full disclosure, I'm also an author on this paper. And we're going to be thinking about this notion that somehow psychological safety maybe leaks in from the workplace to our sim spaces and back again. Now, this is the latest in our collaboration with Advances in Simulation, which, as you know, is a free and open access uh, simulation journal. And we're going to be also hearing from little audio snippets from a number of other sim luminaries who I will introduce when their comments come up. But I want to start by introducing Eve, who, as many of you would know, because she's been on Simulcast before, is an emergency physician and anthropologist who works with us here at the Gold Coast. She's been studying psychological safety extensively over the last couple of years, most recently as a research fellow here with us at Gold Coast Health. And so I asked Eve if perhaps she could start by telling us about what we actually mean when we say psychological safety. Psychological safety is this shared belief amongst team members that the team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. So Vic, what does that look like uh, in our day-to-day life? That looks like a nurse maybe saying, I think you ordered too much metoprolol. It looks like one of my consultants feeling like they can give me as a colleague some feedback on my performance. These outcomes are crucial for teams to perform at their best. Uh, They're crucial for teams to grow together. Um, But really, they are the result of a climate where people feel like they can have those types of conversations, where they can take a little bit of an interpersonal risk. Yeah, well, they both sound like quite risky things to do, especially that giving feedback to a colleague. You know, performance, and I'm, again, drawing on Jenny Rudolph's talking here, but uh, performance often is not discussable in our workplace. But, of course, this isn't just in healthcare. This is based on work by Amy Edmondson, looking at business teams, looking at work environments across the board. It seems that teams that can take risks with each other, whether it's in conversations or in work, seem to be higher performers. Is that right? That's absolutely right, Vic. Uh, Some of my favorite reading around this has been uh, actually from the military, from groups of criminals that perform really well together, uh, really across the board. If teams can take risks uh, with each other and between each other, uh, they really are going to perform at their very best. Now, Uh, One excellent scholar from uh, Ireland has done a lot of work around this in healthcare specifically. Uh, She has looked at healthcare teams uh, and again across many contexts within healthcare uh, has shown that that psychological safety is crucial to teams performing, which we know is what patients need. Now, uh, 
Rosen O'Donovan uh, has recently published a systematic review looking at what are the factors within healthcare that support psychological safety. Um, and she's really identified three different groups that uh, are important. So there's individual level factors. How much confidence does somebody have uh, that, that affect the ability to take an interpersonal risk? There's a whole host of team factors. Really, that's where the money is, uh, is what are these factors within the team? Do the leaders support uh, this type of behavior? Uh, what is the degree of familiarity amongst team members? Um, and then there's actually some organizational factors that are really important around the ability to take interpersonal risks as well. So how is quality improvement viewed within the organization? Is it something mm. that's important? Mm. Uh, and just for Simulcast listeners, we'll obviously put the links to this paper, that one by Rosen O'Donnell and others that we're going to be talking about uh, in the show notes. And so this is interesting, Eve, you've talked about this in a generic sense, but certainly it's consumed my simulation career as well. And many people listening to this will have read uh, Jenny Rudolph's Safe Container article, which was really focusing on the pre-briefing, recognizing this dynamic exists, recognizing that the simulation sessions that we either attend or our faculty members at uh, are inherently risky at an interpersonal level. And so she gave us quite a deal of guidance way back in, I think, 2007, uh, about how to try and create a safe container so that in this moment of simulation, people were prepared to take some of those interpersonal risks in the service of learning. And I think that was very foundational work. Uh, and I guess building on that, we've had some wonderful contributions from people like Michaela Colby and Walter Epic talking about this dynamic balancing act that occurs in simulation debriefing. Uh, Chris Rusin, who's going to feature in the podcast, has also done some significant work looking at sub-teams and their psychological safety. So this has been a topic that has been uh, very all-consuming in the simulation literature. Certainly. Uh, and I think any... Anybody who's done a sim fellowship uh, in the past number of years has read a lot of this work and has really gone a long ways in incorporating it into simulation practice. And I think that that has made uh, our simulation community really much better and has allowed this really deep learning and trust to exist um, within uh, within specific groups who show up to a simulation room. It's a big ask uh, mm. when we get people to show up uh, and engage in simulation. And I think Jenny and all of these folks who you mentioned have just uh, done a huge service in helping us sort out within the moment, how can we help people uh, engage in uh, in taking these risks together. And the first of our audio snippets is from Ben Simon himself, co-producer of Simulcast, also a paediatric emergency physician, and relevance here, one of those fellowship directors at Stork at the Queensland Children's Hospital, where he does a lot of work in simulation and in training simulation fellows. And here he describes how he thinks about the concept of psychological safety. It seems that the more we learn about psychological safety, the more complex we realise it really is. To me, the safe container really remains a powerful metaphor for the concept of a shared psychological space between facilitator and participant, but this article invites acknowledgement that the space is neither airtight nor built by the simulation team alone. So moving on to now, and I guess this is a little bit about the why of the research, the conversations that we had early on, Eve, were that it seemed strange that we we're putting so much effort into thinking about psychological safety in the simulation environment and it seems like we were neglecting what people were bringing in. And certainly in my experience, and perhaps it was in particular working across teams, 
having one experience in the emergency department, a different one in other departments. And I would find that teams were very variable in how they arrived in the simulation. And that would change significantly what I would aspire to achieve in the simulation. Uh, so I, I don't think this is actually not new as a concept to most people involved in sim. Yeah, and I suppose your lens might be as a little bit more as a simulation facilitator, seeing people come in. I suppose a lot of my lens, uh, having just recently finished my emergency medicine training, is being somebody who has participated in simulation and then gone back to work on the floor with people who I have uh, been doing simulation sessions with. And really seeing that as this magical space where we could forge some relationships. And so I think I had a little bit of experience seeing how that translated back uh, at a personal level. And so it just seemed funny to me that this concept of psychological safety, we had almost limited to uh, the simulation when it's it, it seemed from your experience and my experience that probably this wasn't as nice and uh, tightly closed a container as uh, we maybe have thought. Now, we're not the only people who have observed this phenomenon in our clinical and educational practice. And here we've got some comments from Chris Rusin, who is the Senior Director for Applied Learning and Development Strategy at the Centre for Medical Simulation in Boston. And in here, he describes his previous experience at Boston Children's Hospital along the same vein. My experience at Boston Children's Hospital lines up beautifully with, with what you wrote, which is to say... If there's training happening in the hospital, simulation training, um, people bring perceptions about one another. People bring perceptions about the team and the system and the way things work. And they bring those understandings and beliefs and perceptions into the training environment. And the training environment, of course, shapes people's experiences and beliefs and perceptions, hopefully in positive ways, but sometimes in negative ways. And then those people take those altered perceptions back into their work and back into their teams. And here's Ben again, who also seems fairly attracted to this idea of bi-directionality. Overall, though, the idea that psychological safety in simulated spaces is both influenced by and influences real life is a really exciting one that highlights both many risks and many opportunities to make our team stronger and ultimately our patients' experiences better. All right, so Eve, this uh, I think transitions nicely to getting into the study. So tell us a little bit about how that general notion turned into a study question and then how we went about answering it. Look, we had this general notion, which alone doesn't make a research question. I think understanding why this general notion is important is what made the research question. So you and I are both working in a health service that has a simulation service that, like everybody else around the world, is trying to demonstrate some impact. Um, and I just felt like this is such an important thing for our patients and for our teams around the hospital that if we could really understand and highlight um, and then think about how we can capitalize on how simulation impacts our ability to create a culture where it's okay to take interpersonal risks within our hospital, then this would be really powerful um, and an actually really important finding uh, for people who are trying to do the same thing around the world. So that is how this question came to be. And that's super important, isn't it? Because it shifts us entirely from thinking we're creating this safe container 
so that we can do training so that people get better to actually saying no the very thing that we are creating this safe container is the thing that we want in the real world that will make people better in the real world so we're not exporting just the knowledge and skills we're exporting the attitude and the psychological safety exactly so i guess this is where the research comes in uh, is trying to figure out how we can demonstrate this impact Look, it's not a simple question to answer, um, and it is one that requires looking at a problem from multiple different angles um, and trying to give people a variety of spaces and ways that they can explain what their experience is like both at work, um, but also in simulation and how simulation impacts their work. To do that, uh, we employed a number of different uh, methods. We used a survey that went out to essentially everybody in our department that looked at psychological safety within the emergency department. Um, we used a series of narrative questions to get people to describe their work. Uh, we also had some narrative questions that got people to describe their experience in simulation in the emergency department. Or after we sent out those surveys, we scheduled an, a, a number of interviews with about 20 of our nurses and ED registrars in the department who have participated in simulation. Um, some were relatively new to the department. Some had been there for quite a long period of time. So we really tried to get the spectrum of people's experience in simulation, but also in their work so that we could engage in a deeper conversation about how these two interacted. Mm. And I think it is worth just double click on that context issue and just for people listening we're fortunate to be doing this in a simulation program that is established has been running pretty well for six years and with learners who I think have come to trust our interest in their experience all right well what do we find I guess I'm going to talk about the first level of findings which is what do we find at the individual level and really what we found is and this does hark back to Jenny's original podcast with us where she talks about most people have this dreadful evaluation apprehension coming into sim a very small number are what she called socially facilitated which means they just love being in there and being watched by their colleagues but most of us aren't like that and we definitely saw that in our findings and that some people uh, felt quite safe in the group for a variety of reasons either they had some power themselves either they were confident in this kind of setting or they had had good experiences that meant they really did see this as a growth mindset opportunity we had some people though with extreme negative experiences and this is despite what we thought was incredibly careful pre-briefing preparation no surprises uh, and yet we still had people who were not turning up to work that day because they were so frightened of simulation, people having visceral reactions. It's both sort of unsurprising yet deeply confronting to hear specific examples of staff arranging their rosters around simulation avoidance and the negative impacts on relationships that can be forged through misadventures in cultural compression. And I appreciate the article does also provide appropriate balance by highlighting many of the positive opportunities and messages that participants have taken away from their experiences as well. Uh, but I guess one of the really interesting things was also about team findings. And Eve, I know this also partnered work you were doing just looking at psychological safety in general in our emergency department. Uh, but this is really important stuff, isn't it? Yeah, look, when we looked at psychological safety within the emergency department, the number one thing that came up in the workplace that was important was familiarity. Familiarity between nursing staff and medical staff, familiarity um, across the organization, 
really familiarity between individuals on all levels. If you have worked with somebody before, if you know their name, you are more likely to be able to take an interpersonal risk. Where simulation comes into this is that we, we found that the simulation space was this moment, this time where teams could really develop familiarity. Um, and it was a special space that was away from the hustle and bustle of the emergency department where people could create familiarity that was real, that was rooted in complex conversations about the best way to look after patients. Um, and really was a, a significant opportunity to build this thing that we need to do our job in the emergency department. We also found that it was a unique space for leadership skills to be developed. Um, within the team uh, aspect of psychological safety, we know that the way that leaders behave is important. Um, and the specific development of leadership skills for registrars um, really came out as an important an important finding and a space where our nurses actually felt like they got to play a really important role in shaping the type of doctors and the type of leaders that the registrars were going to come become. It was an opportunity where uh, the nurses were developing their leadership skills and really was a chance to kind of understand how we're going to set the tone in our emergency department. Yes. And it's interesting. I mean, the other part to this is, of course, that this has an organisational impact, uh, is that SIM is a component of a bigger improvement ethos. And we got comments like that too, wasn't it? It was just great to be part of something where we are trying to be better. And I think that quote, they were referring to some of our work in getting to the CT scanner safe and fast, but there were a number of comments like that as well. There actually are some reasons why we should do SIM and not just do clinical debriefs of our real work, because it is, it can be a special place. And I'm now going to quote some thoughts from Jenny Rudolph, who was kind enough to offer some comments via email about our paper. As you know, Jenny Rudolph is the Executive Director for the Centre of Medical Simulation in Boston, and she writes, and I quote, Simulation plus debriefing can be an incubator and space to model connection and good teaming, build confidence and psych safety, as well as an exacerbator or magnifying glass for poor team leading or one's own sense of readiness. So there is actually something special about this sim space. And Chris Rusen gives us some additional thoughts on that. You know, something, something else is that you can create something magical. Uh, it's not magical, of course. It's scientific and it's social scientific. But you can create something that's, that is not the work environment in a training environment. Um, sometimes you have these really alchemistic things that happen in a training environment where a couple people or multiple people that are uncomfortable with one another or dislike one another can be inspired or persuaded by the way that you design and conduct training to treat one another differently than they normally do and think about one another differently than they normally do. Um, that can be pretty amazing sometimes. And I've, I've experienced that working with ED teams, ICU teams, OR teams over the years. And, you know, I think that needs to be understood better and written about more. We also invited Walter Epic and Michaela Colby to send us some thoughts on the paper. And Michaela Colby offers her thoughts here. Now, as many of you would know, she's a psychologist, a team scientist and an educator at the Simulation Centre at the University Hospital in Zurich. And here she talks about her reflections on the paper. I'm such a big fan of their research and I'm a huge fan of, of research on psych safety. 
I think in my view, it's a wonderful piece of reflective practice on how we as sim educators deal with psych safety. So the whole notion of, you know, what leaks in and what leaks out and what we can do about it, not in terms of controlling it. I think they are calling it how to shape what leaks in and what leaks out is something that I would wish that we all can be very mindful about this and it hasn't got anything to do with manipulating us or manipulating our learners or control the environment, but being very mindful that the spectrum of how and when do people feel psychologically safe is really huge. And this concept of shaping the leakage in and out of the safe container also seemed to pique the interest of Jenny Rudolph. And in her email, again, I'll quote, how to manage the boundaries in and out of the learning spaces where positive and negative things can be incubated and magnified. Such an interesting and important problem, unquote. And I think then she very kindly offered us a bit of a deep dive in this idea about the safe container that we've been building upon in this paper. And again, I'm going to quote a long quote from Jenny, but it's an important one with some detail. The concept of the container from the work of Winnicott, Bion and others regarding the relational learning that happens between parent and infant, toddler, young child is about the profound impact of relationship on development and learning. Recent research also highlights that this relational container literally shapes brain development. While the people we all work with have already developed brains, although neuroplasticity is at play, your paper prompts me to think more deeply about how expectations, experiences of psych safety shape learning as people move in and out of simulation. A safe container can downregulate negative emotion or create the broaden and build neurologic association of positive emotion or the super negative opposites of this. Your paper highlights the fact that sim and debriefing could act as an accelerator, amplifier or incubator of such experiences outside of sim, how to enhance the positive factors and mitigate the negative ones, unquote. And so for me, these words are really important. It shapes our role as educators. How are we being accelerators, amplifiers or incubators of all the good stuff? Yeah, that's just a bit to uh, a bit to live up to, I suppose. Um, but I think it really places the importance back on this work, uh, not our work, the work of the simulation community. Um, it speaks to the fact that we have this opportunity, but also this responsibility uh, when it comes to creating and shaping psychological safety, not just in the simulation, but in the work that people are going to be going back and doing. Uh, So those are big words, but I think based on our findings, they speak to just how big the ask is. So just a reminder for Simulcast listeners, uh, we will link to the paper in the show notes. One of the controversial things in here is that Eve says, and it is her words, very boldly that we should stop saying what goes on in sim stays in sim, in part because it's not true, and second because it's not helpful. Now, it's interesting because this became one of the issues that some of our commentators challenged, and I'm going to uh, let you listen to what Ben and then Walter Epic had to say about that. One area I'd like to slightly challenge is the proposed solution to negotiating confidentiality, where the advice is to stop saying what happens in simulation stays in simulation. 
And I get it. I think that that's true, and it's an important acknowledgement that we can't fully protect participants from the private judgments of their peers. But I still think as faculty we can help establish a philosophical boundary between the simulation and real life, particularly in regards to encouraging the concept that the sim is an experimental science lab type space and an opportunity to potentially try out new techniques or strategies that we might not normally use. And I just worry a bit that simply saying stop saying this might actually become its own dogma going into the future. Yes, very thoughtful comments from Ben. Uh, our next comments are from Walter Epic, again, well known to most simulcast listeners. Uh, but he is currently Professor of Simulation Education and Research at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, as well as being a paediatric emergency physician and PhD in medical education. And he also had some thoughts about this uh, no confidentiality concept. And then, of course, stopping saying what happens in simulation stays in simulation, although I find that a little bit of a controversial thing. Um, I think, you know, for me, what this changes is acknowledging that there are that there are some things, many desirable of that people take away. And yet what remains with me is people don't go out and say exactly what Michaela did in the simulation. And that was you should have seen what she did. Like, I, I, I would hope that that's still one of the one of the things we should be attending to. But um, and so my, the thing that I'm wondering is how do you shape then what leaks out? And here Walter takes us back to being curators of these bi-directional impacts of psychological safety between these two spaces. And here Walter offers some additional thoughts on the way forward. And one of the big things that th- that's, this paper leaves me with is how can we perhaps um, dedicate more time in the debriefing to identifying what specific teams with their own unique microclimates and cultures can do to improve how they work together in the future? And I think we need to probably devote more time to those aspects in the, in the debriefing. And unsurprising, Jenny Rudolph had something to say about this too, and I'll quote, Lastly, a practical conundrum for me. I was quite intrigued with the idea of stopping saying what happens in sim stays in sim. Based on your findings, it's not true and we shouldn't say it. Yet I think there is something important that we need to invent instead. How to acknowledge, recognize the risks and opportunities, yet help people feel as safe as possible working at the edge of their expertise. And she suggests and I quote again, something about generous inferences or about our commitment to seeing each other as trying to do well. And this is connected to the commitments behind the basic assumption, unquote. I'm inclined to agree with Jenny's approach here um, in giving people some words and ideas that they can use. One phrase that we have tried out here uh, is talking about respecting each other's performance And I think that speaks to what we actually want people to be doing in real life as well. Um, If we can create a space where we can discuss people's performance, but we also respect it, uh, I have a feeling that that might just uh, leak out of the container too. Mm. Yeah, and I think that also speaks to how carefully we have to design our simulations. Because I think if we fail at the uh, fidelity in the broadest sense of the word... It means we create a caricature of the real world that invites caricature in performance and discussions of that performance. And uh, I know people like to have some fun in sim, but you can see where that can go wrong sometimes. And so uh, really sticking to authenticity is important at every level. 
I'd also highlight that we've spent some more time focusing with our teams on what they should be taking from the, from the simulation. Yeah. I think Walter mentioned that. Uh, and I think if we can underscore and highlight what these pieces are that we want people to take out, those are likely the things that, that will leave the room. And Chris Rusin had some similar thoughts as I guess we all try to grapple with what our words would be that emphasize this idea of respect without ignoring positive impacts leaking out. We should be respectful. We should be considerate, um, ideally confidential about some things uh, where appropriate, but, you know, really the same confidentiality considerations that you have in outside of the training environment and that it's kind of unrealistic impractical and often unhelpful to try to limit things to the training environment. So that was definitely part of my journey at Boston Children's and also part of what I talk about as I help hospitals and systems develop their own SIM programs and curricular approaches. All right, Eve, I guess we're starting to think about uh, where we go from here from a researcher and practitioner point of view, Eve. Well, you know, Vic, that I love the model of contagion uh, that is psychological safety. So we know that psychological safety transfers between nodes really easily within a department or within a group. So one of the one of the questions and one of the interests that I have when it comes to simulation, which we know is a resource intensive uh, opportunity, is thinking about who are the right people that we should be trying to inject and shape with with psychological safety so that when they go back out into the real world, they bring that with them and transfer it. Uh, So some real thought about who are the participants um, that are likely to have the most impact back on the floor or who are the participants that are at the most risk with whom we can have perhaps kind of the biggest delta with. Uh, So I I like to think about who we're going to get into this space um, and will have the most impact on on the other side. One of the other things that I've been thinking a little bit more about is what is our positioning as facilitators for groups Um, and thinking about how we learn about these groups when they come in and sorting out who is the, who's actually the right person to be facilitating this. Um, I think we have to be really at a departmental level, really honest with ourselves about whether we have the right people in the rooms doing simulation um, and creating uh, this type of message that is going to come out in a magnified and accelerated and incubated way. We've got to make sure that, Uh, we are the right people in whatever group context it is to be doing that. And as one who facilitated our first simulation back for the year, we had three new doctors out of four and uh, two nurses who'd never done sim before out of six. And I agree, you do need to think carefully about what that session is going to be, what the scenarios should be, how the conversations are going to flow. And I now think pay particular attention to where they are asking them where they're at. I think for me, one of the take-home messages really is to attune to that individual level as well, uh, as well as recognise that uh, there is something special about the sim environment, and I'm rather pleased to do that. I do like clinical debriefs on our real work. I think that's important. But I also know that there is something special we're doing in sim, and some of that is about setting a tone for what we want uh, in psych safety and getting better uh, in the real world. What about you? Yeah, well, I just have one quick question about what you said there, Vic, which is you're more attuned at the individual level to people coming in. What does that look like uh, in the moment for you? How do you how do you gauge that? Yeah, so I think sometimes it even is before people arrive. 
And I think that with both the team and with the individuals, uh, I certainly spend much more time with teams before I embark on simulation than I ever used to. Uh, but I think, again, notions from Centre for Medical Simulation, above the table conversations. It's your first simulation here. One of the things that we talk about here is psychological safety. Uh, what might that mean to you? This is what it means to us. Uh, how can we help support you that you feel okay about having a go here uh, in the service of learning and actually having some conversations with groups instead of trying to pretend that it's all a show? Mm -hmm. I think that becomes important in uh, what Chris is about to talk about with sub teams as well. Um, certainly with some of the sims that are outside the context of this research, but that we do at the hospital with teams that are coming from very different places who have their own different levels of psychological safety in their work environment and then are coming to one place together. Uh, managing those differing levels uh, is is really hard and really challenging. Uh, and again, probably something just to be uh, a bit explicit about from time to time. Um, something that I think is a great next step is consideration of sub-team psychological safety. I do think there are limits to the way that we measure psychological safety currently. The intact team psychological safety measurement can be very limiting and that there are lots of sub-team psychological safety dynamics. And a lot of that is shaped by professional boundaries. A lot of that is shaped by uh, interpersonal relationships, knowledge, similarities between people in the team or dissimilarities. So some food for thought there with next steps. So to finish off the podcast, I asked Eve for any final thoughts about what she would like to leave us with. You know, I'm going to stand by my words. Uh, I think we should stop saying what happens in simulation stays in simulation. Uh, and I will uh, I'll stick to that. But I'm happy to have created a bit of controversy. That's uh, usually my goal. So as we're wrapping up Simulcast listeners, I've been talking with Eve Purdy, the first author of Taking Simulation Out of Its Safe Container, Exploring the Bi-Directional Impacts of Psychological Safety and Simulation in an Emergency Department, just published in Advances in Simulation. And the links to that paper and the others we've discussed in the podcast will be in our episode description. This is Victoria Brazel signing off for Simulcast. Thank you for listening to Simulcast. Simulcast. 